Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. How does Jesus interact with us today? I think this is a very important question. How does Jesus really involve himself in our lives? In what way does he involve himself in our lives? Well, one way to look at this is to consider what he expects us to do in our lives. Some people would prefer to ask the question in that way, because if we understand what his expectations are, then if we fulfill his expectations, then we expect that he will respond to our fulfilling his expectations and perhaps bless us in some way. That's normally how people will look at it. And so I'll answer this question of what is Jesus doing in terms of interacting with us from that point of view, that most people are looking at this question in the sense of what does he really expect us to do? What are his expectations of us? Because his expectations will govern his response when we obey or repent as we believe he would expect us to do. And so if that's the case, then what are his expectations? Well, it can be very easy to identify his expectations. We can go to the historical records that have been given to us in the Bible concerning what he said in the past, and we can say that he said certain things in the past. He described his expectations concerning how we would live, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves, that we would love the Lord our God, that we would not commit adultery, that we would not steal, that we would not commit murder, that we would not violate the law of Moses, that that is one of the ways that we can look at his expectations of us. We can also look at it from the point of view of the Sermon on the Mount and say that his expectations are even greater than that. But let's just stick with these just for the moment, that perhaps his expectations are that we live in obedience to the law of God as it was given through Moses. And as he confirmed during his ministry here on earth that has been documented in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And his involvement, his involvement in our lives will be according to how we are doing in terms of our repentance from our sins and our obedience to his commandments. That that will be the way that he measures our success or our failure. And in that way, he will then respond accordingly. Now, there are different ways that people will measure the response that they expect Jesus will have in their life. Uh, For example, people will assume that he's going to bless them in some way in response to their repentance and obedience, that he will provide them with greater health, wealth, and prosperity, for example. Health in the context that if they are experiencing some significant trauma in their life concerning their health, or they may have experienced an injury in that traumatic sense, They may have cancer or heart problems. Who knows what it may be? The important thing that I want to mention is that people make the assumption that if Jesus expected people to live in obedience in the past, then he also expects people to live in obedience today, and he will expect people to live in obedience in the future. And according to the law of God, if you are successful concerning that, then he will respond and provide you 
with these blessings. It is written in the law that if you repent and obey, then he will provide you with greater health. And he will also provide you with greater prosperity. He will provide you with more opportunities to generate wealth. He will do this, that this is something that he has promised through the law. And so people assume that that will be the case. Well, I do believe that it's a reasonable assumption because he did say that. And he said that in the past, and I believe it's just as valid today. But the assumption that people are making in addition to that is they are assuming that they are going to be successful concerning their repentance and obedience. And that assumption is made on the basis that people assume that he is now going to empower them in some magical, mystical way, because there's no other way that people can define that. They believe that he is going to divinely intervene and give them some energizing empowerment, some enthusiasm of some kind, perhaps, some greater desire within them so that they will say no to sin and they will say yes to righteousness. And when they do that, then he will bless them accordingly. Now, the way that people support this perspective is with various verses, such as Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where it is written, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So if he is the same yesterday and today, then all we have to do is look at how he related to people yesterday in the past. And the example that I'm giving is the example of the law. If that's how he related to them back then, then the same promises can be applicable today. Now, let me say that I do believe that there is some validity concerning that, but I believe that the validity is found differently. I believe that the validity, that that is valid, that that is true, only on the basis of the fullness of what he actually said, which was that you had to live in obedience to all of the commandments. He didn't say that you needed to give it your best effort and that he would provide grace and mercy and forgiveness for where you fell short. And in that way, you would obey all. That's not what he said. He said you would have to completely repent of all of your sins and live in total, absolute obedience to the commandments of God. And if you do that, then success will be achieved and he will respond to your success by blessing you in the various ways that he described. The issue, however, is that you will never live in complete, absolute obedience to all of the commandments as was required. And so in that way, there's no need for us to really concern ourselves with this because it's never going to happen in that way. It never will. Unless you're God manifested in the flesh, you will not fulfill what God manifested in the flesh expected you to fulfill and that only he was able to fulfill. But people will use a verse such as this and suggest that you can obtain something from God because he made a way for that to be accomplished. Now, there are other ways that people look at this verse. For example, there were times when the Lord divinely intervened and performed miracles, signs, wonders. He provided healings to people who experienced significant health problems. He provided prosperity to people who were certainly suffering And he has intervened in various ways in order to set people free from various things that they were struggling with in their lives. He has done this in the past. The problem is that people will assume that because he has done that in the past, that he is obligated to do that in the future, or that he is obligated to do that today. Because if he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we would expect him to do those things that he did in the past today and tomorrow and forever. But this is an assumption. 
This is an assumption, and I believe it's a false assumption. And I can give you many examples, even found within the scriptures, found within the New Testament, where he healed some people, but he didn't heal others. And so if I can find examples in the scriptures, I think that's enough evidence to show personally that it's not always going to be the case. And to assume that it will be is to make an assumption that I believe will lead a person to a great deal of depression because they're not going to necessarily have their expectations met all the time. I certainly do believe that. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that the Lord Jesus does intervene in our lives and that he does perform miracles today. I have no problem believing that. And I do believe that he will do that in the future, and he will always do those kinds of things in the future. But I do not want to say that he is obligated to do so, because, see, here's the problem. If we look at this verse from that perspective in terms of what he's going to do in our lives because of what he's done in the past, if we look at it from that point of view, then it's easy to have a God of stone. And what I mean by a God of stone is a God who is always going to behave in a certain way. He's always going to react in a certain way. He's going to be very predictable. These are things that qualify him as a God of stone. I believe that he is an active participant in our lives, which allows him the freedom to say yes or no, to intervene or not to intervene. And so that sets me apart from many people concerning this subject of God being the same yesterday, today, and forever, that I don't believe that it has to do with how he's going to interact or behave with us or what he's going to do in terms of intervention. Instead, I see this from a different point of view. I see this from the point of view of his character, from the point of view of what he values, that in that way he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the law is a perfect example The law is a wonderful example. In the past, he has said that he expected people to live in obedience to the commandments. And when he was conducting his ministry, he said it again, that he expected people to live in obedience to his commandments. But again, just as I said earlier, the expectation that he would have of us living in obedience to the commandments is not going to be realized because we are not God. And so the end result will be what? Well, it will be an end result of us acknowledging, hopefully acknowledging, that we cannot live in obedience to our God, that we cannot repent from our sins. And if we are able to acknowledge that, if we come to the point of recognizing that, then we will see that there is no hope whatsoever of entering into his kingdom in heaven, of experiencing a relationship with him forever throughout all eternity. There is no way to be a part of the kingdom of God until we recognize that there is no way that we can do it out of our own effort, out of our own determination, out of our own commitment, out of our own sinlessness, and out of our own obedience. Instead, the only way is to recognize that we are totally hopeless and helpless, and we have a need for his graciousness and for his mercy. And I believe that is consistent, that throughout the entire history of humanity up to date and throughout the entire history of humanity that yet will unfold, that that will be consistent, that everyone must recognize that they have no hope outside of his mercy, that we need his mercy, that he is the same, he has been the same, and he will always be the same concerning the subject of mercy for sin.
and that there is no way that we can come to him. There is no way that we can be a part of his life. And there's no way that he's going to be a part of our life in a relational context, as we would like to see, outside of the scope of his mercy towards us. And the law provides us with an opportunity to recognize the need that we have. During his ministry, the Lord Jesus was speaking to people in Israel who did not believe that they had a need for the mercy of God. And the reason why they didn't believe that, and I'm referring to the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the reason why they did not believe that they needed his mercy was because they believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the commandments as they were given through Moses. That was their belief. And so he had to stay consistent concerning the need of humanity for mercy. But to do so, he used the law. He used the law in order to beat people to death in a spiritual sense, to beat people, to pummel them, to eventually show them and demonstrate to them that they needed the mercy of God. And today, we have the same problem. We really do. I know many people, I know a lot of people, who sincerely believe a number of things that can relate to this. The first thing that people believe is that they have no need for the mercy of God because they feel like they're pretty good people. They feel like they're pretty good people. They don't do things like I do or other people do. They feel that they have managed to live a reasonably righteous life. They haven't broken any laws, for example. They haven't hurt anybody in any dramatic way. And so because of that, they don't really believe that they have a need for the mercy of God. And there are other people from a religious perspective who sincerely believe that they live a pretty good holy life, that they believe things like they are fully, completely sanctified, that they no longer sin because they have experienced some revelation with God or they have experienced some transformation with God in such a way that they don't sin anymore, that they are fully, completely sanctified in such a way that they are holy and righteous. And so because of that, they don't really need God's mercy. That's another attitude that still exists today. And what do we use in order to break through that? The very thing that God gave us to use to deal with those issues. For those who believe that they're pretty good on their own, you use the law to show them, well, tell me, do you do this? Do you do that? Have you lived in obedience to this? Have you ever failed concerning that? And if you have, then you don't really meet the standard that you should be measuring yourself by. And then, of course, they may reply with something like, well, you don't either. And you can say, well, of course not. We all need his mercy. Don't you see it? And if you see it, then you can receive it. And for those who are religious, well, those people are a little bit more difficult sometimes because they may study the law. They may believe that they have found a way to live in obedience to the law just as the Pharisees did. And I suppose in that sense, you could quote the Lord Jesus on occasion concerning some of the occasions where he had some things to say to the Pharisees, and perhaps that might inspire these people. Perhaps not. I mean, if the Lord Jesus himself could not break through the pride of the religious Pharisees in his time, I wouldn't have a whole lot of confidence that you or I are necessarily going to break through the pride of the religious Pharisees of this time either. doesn't mean that we don't try. It just means don't have high expectations. But please understand that the law was given for a purpose, to draw people to Christ to receive what he has for them. It was used before he came for that purpose. It was used when he was here for that purpose. And it is being used today for that purpose even after he has risen from the dead. And it will continue to be applicable in many people's lives from this day forward. 
And so in that way, I can say that certainly Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because he is the same merciful God who once was, who has been, who is, and who always will be. He will always be merciful for those who are willing to receive him for who he is and the mercy that he is offering on the basis of the truth that he has clearly established beforehand. Otherwise, again, you've got a God of stone who you assume that you can manipulate into giving you health, wealth, and prosperity, or you assume that he will give you a place in the kingdom of heaven just because of this or that or whatever. But it's not going to be that way. It will not be that way because his character is that which will always be the same. He is the same in terms of character. This is vital, especially when it comes to Hebrews chapter 13. It is absolutely vital because in the verses prior to verse 8, he speaks of the value of his character. In verse 5, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, make sure that your character, your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. And what do you have? Him. It is he who you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who responded to the truth that was revealed to them, the truth that the Lord our God revealed, the truth about himself, and that people responded to that. Their conduct was a reflection of that. The results of their conduct was a reflection of their conduct, which was a reflection of their trust, of their response, of their belief of what the Lord had revealed to them, that he himself is the originator and the end of all things. And then continuing forward in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, for which those who were so occupied were not benefited. This is where he's going with all of this. He's going in the direction of the law because he's writing to Hebrews. He was writing to the Hebrews at the time of the Lord Jesus who were consumed with the law. And he tells them very directly right here in verse 9 that you are to be strengthened by his grace. His grace, not by the law, but by his grace. The law condemns. The law will always condemn so that you can be the recipient of his grace and mercy. And once you have been the recipient of his grace and mercy, the law has had its purpose. It has been fulfilled in terms of the reason why he gave it. So put it aside. But there were many people there in Jerusalem who were believing in the Lord Jesus. They were believing in him, but they were not embracing the fullness of his grace. They were not embracing that. They were not resting in his mercy and instead went back to the law. The law led them to Christ and then they turned away from Christ to go back to the law. And what's in the law? Things like foods, like what you're going to eat and what you're not going to eat. Now, now, folks, I certainly do not want to encourage you to eat things that are not good for you. And I have done a full hour on the subject of the dietary laws. You can find those programs in my radio archive, download those for free, or you can ask me for the CD and I'll ship it out to you. I have done a lot of work on the subject of the dietary laws. I think that they were given for some very important reasons and that we should be aware of those things. But people are instead wanting to use these laws for another purpose that they were never intended for. 
And that's the point. Look, you can obey those laws, you can live in obedience to them, fine, no problem with that. But if you assume that your strength in your relationship with your God is going to be based on your obedience to the dietary laws, then you're totally missing out. You have no concept, you have no clue concerning what he really has for you and the real strength that can only be obtained by his grace. There is a strength that is completely separate from conviction, from commitment. There is something else. There is something totally different that can only be received when you recognize your total need for his mercy and that these things in the law have no place in your life anymore. But the Jews in Jerusalem, the Hebrews in Jerusalem, were not recognizing that. They were not recognizing that. He follows it up in verse 9 by saying, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. They were not benefited. And so if you believe that you are going to benefit through your obedience and your observance to dietary laws, if you believe that, then you have rejected. You are calling him a liar. He who wrote Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, you are calling him a liar. You are rejecting the very word of God and believing that what is written here is a lie. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe you can experience some physical benefits. But in terms of your personal relationship with your God, there is no benefit. In terms of knowing him for who he is, there is no benefit. In terms of experiencing his love and his grace and his mercy, there is no benefit. In fact, this becomes an obstacle. It becomes a great obstacle because you are not relying on his mercy. Instead, you are relying on your obedience. That's what you're relying on. And if you do that, then you have separated yourself from the love of God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And this little speck, which is all that it is, it's a little speck of leaven will eventually fester and grow and cause a great rising of your personal pride that will cast out the love of God that he wants to give to you personally. It will push that out. It will cast that out. Do not underestimate the seriousness of this. Now, again, I understand the value of eating well. I personally do what I can in order to eat well, and I I certainly don't have a problem with living in obedience to the dietary laws, but not in the context of obedience or in the context of repentance or in the context of assuming that he's going to bless me in some way because of that. It has nothing to do with that at all. Please understand that this was given for other reasons, and as I mentioned earlier, I taught for a whole hour on those reasons. But in this context here, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, you need to understand that the writer here calls these strange and varied teachings. He calls these things that are not going to do anything to strengthen your heart whatsoever. And the reason why is because these things take you away from his mercy. They take you away from his grace. They really do. And I don't mean that you have to dispose of these things in order to then receive his grace and mercy. That's not what I mean. What I mean is is that you need to recognize that your trust and dependency should have nothing to do with these things at all. Your trust and dependency should have nothing to do with the issues concerning the law. But instead, you should recognize that he has given you his complete, absolute forgiveness. That he doesn't hold any of your sins against you. And if you recognize that, then you can be the recipient of his love. A part of that is defined as no longer keeping any records of your wrongs. And you will never be able to embrace that.
you will never be able to understand that he no longer keeps any records of your wrongs if you assume that he's still keeping records of your wrongs. Then you're never going to receive that. And if you never receive that, then you will never be fully strengthened by his grace and mercy. You see, you have a deep need to be loved. You really do. And you have a deep need to be accepted. And if you believe that his love and acceptance are contingent on your obedience, then you're never going to know what it truly is. But once you get past that and you realize that it is not contingent on your obedience or your repentance, has nothing to do with that, then you can rest in the fullness of his grace and love for you. And if you will do that, then he will fulfill the deepest need that you have in your heart that is to be loved. And if you will let him do that, then you will experience an inner strength within you that no law could have ever generated, that no commandment could have ever generated. I mean, what do you think I really hear when people say to me, oh, yes, we need to live in obedience to the dietary laws. Did you eat a bacon double cheeseburger? What do you think I really hear? When I experience the love of God in my life, when I truly experience his mercy in my life, when he meets the needs in my heart, in such a way that he fulfills my heart. And a fulfilled heart is a changed heart. And a changed heart says no to sin because the temptations are no longer what they once were. The temptations of engage in this sin and you will feel accepted. Engage in this sin and you will feel as though you have some meaning and purpose in your life. Engage in this sin and you will feel a greater sense of safety and security or respect or honor. Engage in those temptations dissipate. And when they dissipate, I then can have a brief moment of seeing the power of the love of God for me. The power of him being in my life. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, did you have a bacon double cheeseburger for lunch or not? I mean, what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? When it comes to the reality of having a personal encounter with the living God of the universe, and you want to talk about something that has to do with the flesh, who cares? I mean, who really cares in comparison? I can say that with conviction, but until you truly embrace him for who he is, I don't think you ever will. And so I want to encourage you to recognize what he's saying here, that true strength, that a strengthened heart will only come from the grace of God never from the law. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.